Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Benny Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, you're sporting some three-notch merch, and you have a beer. Well done. Yeah, of course. We we gotta you know it's 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 brand marketing in every single aspect. Uh, Three Notch has been a fantastic partner, sponsor, whatever you want to call them, of the Jamie Sports News podcast. And this week we were sent some amazing merch by Sabrina of Three Notched. If you're not already, follow them on social media. Three Notched Beer on Twitter. Three Notched, I believe it's just Three Notched on Instagram. Three Notched Valley Collab. If you want the Harrisonburg exclusive one, uh, but no, sent us some awesome swag a bunch of stickers this hat did not send us a beat the beer i'm pretty sure that is illegal so i don't want to get anyone in trouble did not send us the beer uh but a hat an awesome long sleeve tee bennett's hat actually had his initials inscribed in it though that's what i was telling jack not quite the case but very cool <laughs> we're excited about that that partnership right that's exciting stuff and uh i miss him man i wish we could could go back there but you can sign up for the fresh beer club Find out more at threenotchbrewing.com. Check them out. They've also got the First Tap Fridays. Exclusive releases every Friday, Jack? That sounds unbelievable. Part of me just wants to move to Harrisonburg, you know? You know, I have that thought <laughs> quite often, actually. Become a and season I, ticket holder for, like, multiple sports. I mean, all the sports. And just, <laughs> just be in the air. Just sit. That honestly doesn't sound too bad. I, we, we both do work remote. Yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be fun. We could buy the Harrisonburg Turks. Buy the Turks, run the Turks. Turn them into perennial winners. We, we could take them We could take them to the next level if we do a few things. You know, a few bounces go our way, and next thing you know, we got a major league expansion franchise. You know, all we have to do is go to bet online because it remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Create the perfect parlay. Craft the perfect 15-leg parlay going into the Super Bowl and win big we all know parlays are the best way to uh win bets there's th- so there's, no mar- there's no marketing schemes behind them bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events head to the website today uh the website is betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join at betonline.ag when you join you will receive a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first time deposit just use promo code believe promo code B L E A V to receive a 50% welcome bonus. You deposit $500. You'll get a $250 uh, little welcome bonus in your account as well. So you don't want to miss out on that available to all first time depositors. And then we could bet on bet online, get the money we need from a 15 leg parlay to buy the Harrison Burke Turks, maybe buy JMU too. And then uh, we're sitting pretty. We're sitting pretty owning the university. That would be pretty fun. Yeah, the public university that is owned by the taxpayers. Yeah, it would be pretty cool to buy that. You know what else was pretty cool? Men's basketball. They're back. 
This is the king of segues podcast right here, folks. Yeah, they're back. Two big time wins. Oh, uh, are they actually back though? Let, they're let's be- so back, dude. So it's good to be back. So they've won four of their last mm-hmm. five, which is good. good. It sounds good. Um, I was trying to figure out the last time they won four of their last five, and it was their five game stretch from December 10th to December 31st, but that included a D3 team with Gallaudet. Uh, so I think the last time they won four of five, not against D, only against D1 teams. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes. Was at the very beginning of the season, take out Valley yeah. Forge. They beat yeah. Hampton, Buffalo, Howard, lost to UNC, beat Coastal Georgia, but we're throwing that out, and then beat South Dakota State. That was the last time they won four or five games against Division One opponents. It's it's interesting because they have so many D3s in there that make it seem like they're – you take those out and they're 12-8 and eight on the season. So, <laughs> Which looks a lot worse than 15-8 and eight, if we're being honest. It does, and I was looking at it a lot today and, and this week, and the only thing that, that really frustrates you – I would say. I mean, some of the losses, like, they're tough that you'd like. It's the Valpo and the Coppin State. Yes. Like, those just suck. Like, if you yeah. take those out and you still count the the D3s, you're 17-6. and six, You're in the mix toward the top of the league, and you're pretty happy. Those are just awful losses that I wish they had back. I mean, honestly, if you get both of those, and then if you win one of those three during that three-game yeah. losing streak, then you're feel like you're just feeling so much better, even with a Southern Miss loss on the road. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, over this four this five game streak where they've won four of the games, they haven't necessarily been like yawn wins. I mean, three of them have, but the road win at Troy, solid win, and then mm-hmm. pair that with the road win at Marshall, which is by far the best team in the Sun Belt according to Ken Palm, and. And pair that with a Georgia State road win, like you feel good, and then you kind of look. Oh wait, they lost to Texas State, App State, and South Alabama, and then they got kind of blown out against Southern Miss. It, it just kind of is offsetting. Yeah, they haven't really gotten a ton, maybe outside of that that stretch to start the season, a ton of momentum going. It feels like every time they get something going, even with like a good loss, like Carolina, there were some positives from that one. Uh, like UVA, there were a lot of positives there. And then they followed it up with those disappointing ones, right? They get the Marshall win. They followed up the three-game losing streak. So now they do seem to have a little positive momentum going. So it, it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain. But I guess before that, we should talk about the positives of this this weekend. Yeah, I mean, a, 60, a 75-69 win at home against Coastal Carolina on Thursday, a 58-45 win against ULM on Saturday. That ULM win, I know they're 263 Ken Palm, but kind of a fantastic win almost because ULM was coming off of a double overtime, thrilling win over Marshall at Marshall. So ULM had just proven that they were able to kind of fight blow for blow with the upper echelon of the Sun Belt, and then they come into Harrisonburg, and it was a defensive slugfest. JMU ends up winning by 13, but you hold any conference team to sub-50, you like the way that sounds. It sounds good. I think ULM's offensive stats are horrible, and they kind of, I think they got away with the Marshall one where it's like not 
it was, you know, that maybe they played a little better and Marshall played a little worse than normal. I think Louisiana Monroe has kind of come on a little bit where they've been competitive in conference play. They're six and four in conference play. So their, their non-conference was horrendous. They, um, they had one division one win in non-conference play and it was against Lamar, which is three fifty nine in Ken Palm. Like they had a really bad non-conference slate. Like they played teams that were sub 300 in Ken Palm and they just couldn't win, but they're, they're playing a lot better now. So it's a, not a horrible win, but they struggle most of the time they do struggle offensively. So I'm a little worried that JMU's like defensive bump. And I, I think they're a good defensive team, but I think like the last two showings, it's not exactly like indicative of, Hey, they can keep lean on their defense to a Sunbelt title. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think you, yeah, you can't lean on this defense to a Sunbelt title without like, they can't shoot sub 30 in any (laughs) of the games remaining and expect to win. And you know, what's the most insane thing of this JMU conference season is it their disgusting shooting? Yes, it's that they've shot over 35% from three, which, like, I feel like for a small ball team built to shoot threes, 35% is kind of a lowish bar to set. Am I wrong in putting 35% as the bar for this metric? That's not that. Yeah, it's like a like a middle-of-the-pack number, 35%. Okay. is like, so It's fine, yeah. They've shot over 35%. Against Marshall, against Georgia Southern, and against Southern Miss. Yeah, that's crazy. one of those was a thirty-five point seven percent shoot. So by point seven percent, so by one made shot, they shot better than thirty-five percent. Three times this entire conference season, and you're coming on these home these home broadcasts. And telling me that they are one of the best offensive teams in the nation, that they have a top five scoring margin, get out of here. Miss me with all of that. You're the home broadcast. I get it when it's the away broadcast. You you haven't really dove into the numbers and figured things out. But you watched this team play Valley Forge, play Hampton. You watched them play Eastern Kentucky, Gallaudet, LIU. You know those 50-plus percent performances are so outweighing what conference play did that statistically this team is still a 34.9% three-point shooting team. But when you put that to just conference play, they are one of the worst teams in the nation at shooting the three. I believe they're sitting somewhere around 22%, if my quick math is right. I just feel like we've gotten to a point where, especially with college basketball and the access to numbers that like per game metrics suck. Like they've sucked for a long time. They're not that great. Like you can look at like Virginia and be like, Oh, they suck offensively because they only average however many, like they play slowly. Jamie plays so fast. They had three ninety ones. They had Hampton Valpo Coppin state LIU. Like it's an unbelievably easy schedule and they're playing at this absurd pace that their per game numbers are like a ridiculous way to describe them and say that like, Oh, they're good shooters. 
It's like they're shooting twenty nine percent, twenty nine percent in conference play, sub thirty percent. So I was off by seven percent, which is quite a big margin. So that's why I wanted to interrupt you to correct that. They're shooting twenty nine percent in conference play. It's the worst mark in the conference by far. During, yeah, and they're they're uh, they went thirteen, I think thirteen of fifty in the last two games. They won them both, thirteen of fifty. That's twenty six percent from three, and they won those games. Like they, <laughs> you have no business winning games in league play when you're making like 20 some percent of your three. So that's still a major concern. And I don't think it's one that's like, Oh, well in non-conference they had it going. I don't think that's fair. Cause the Sunbelt, which is not a great league is way better than like the average non-conference opponent they played outside of, obviously you can take out the outliers with like UNC and Virginia. You know, what's funny, even with UNC and UVA, if you took the average Ken Palm of the non-conference it is still vastly worse than the average ken palm of a sunbelt team yeah it's pretty bad like you you can't tweet you can't േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ
kind of above what they should have been early in the year. And uh, it's a concern. It's definitely a concern. But the other part that I think is exciting here is that like, if they can give you 35% three point shooting or above on a night, Defense is good enough that they can be one of the more dangerous teams in the conference tournament. Honestly, if they give you 30% shooting from behind the arc, like that, I know that was the like the fake like threshold we created a few right. podcasts ago, but I think that threshold holds pretty true. They've only lost one Sunbelt game shooting above 30%, and that was the Southern Miss game where I think things kind of got out of hand, and I didn't watch that game in, in its entirety. We were at the Troy game at the time. But if I'm not mistaken, I feel like those may have been garbage time threes, a good portion of them. But I know they, I, got, I, they got killed defensively that game. So it, it, but like, so you have one loss when you shoot above thirty percent. I like your chances. Keep keep doing that. Keep attacking the paint. You saw. I mean, against Coastal Louisiana, I felt Louisiana Monroe. Excuse me. I feel like. There's a lot of issues that are still there, as you can see on our lower third. Has the the run of success masked some of their issues? It 100% has. We just talked at length about how they still can't shoot the basketball. But there's still some positives that came out of it. Like, they attacked the paint. When they got in close, they played extremely well. They hit their shots close. And now they're starting to get to the free throw line more. They don't hit them consistently enough. But they, they're number one in the Sun Belt in terms of point share and point distribution. They're number one in the Sun Belt with 25% of their points coming from the free throw line. It's it's a unique team in the sense that I think most of the other contenders, you would probably look at their like top scoring threats and be like, you know, I think they're going to show up within a certain extent, <laughs> like in the conference tournament. I have no idea if Molson, Morse, Friedel are going to be ice cold or like red hot and they're just going to blow like – those are their three, like, probably top shooters in terms of volume, and I just have no idea, like, on a nightly basis what we're going to see. I'm going to throw Edwards' name in that. I think Edwards is also another guy who can, like, get his. Yeah. But can we talk about Friedel for a second? I think yes. the Louisiana Monroe game, or at least that – probably the Louisiana Monroe game specifically was his best game of the season, all things considered, was a stud on the defensive side. It's some key threes. He has one of the higher marks on offensive ratings now on the team at 109.2. I thought Noah Friedel, and we'll talk about Mezzi Offerman here in a little bit. Sorry, Offerman here in a little bit. But Friedel, for a while there, wasn't getting minutes in the final five minutes of games. And I was really curious as to why. And then he finally did. And you know what he did? He'd block a shot. He'd get a key rebound. He'd nailed a three. Like, he was really good. Uh, he's he's good. I mean, like, I think it's pronounced Maya, EvanMaya.com, but it's it's another analytics site, and it's got Friedelis, like, by far and away the most efficient player because he's good defensively. And offensively, I think the thing that, that kind of stands out is he doesn't do dumb stuff, which is, like, kind of a low – bar but jamie was like turnover problems offensively and friedel's not like giving the ball up a lot so like he'll get you some nice rebounds he plays good defense he'll hit some threes he'll make some twos he's good from the free throw line like i think there's some shooting stuff where like i wish he was maybe more consistent at times this year but he's he's improving in conference play and he just doesn't do dumb things like he doesn't jack up like 20 shots a game if he's cold he doesn't turn the ball over a million times 
which is again, kind of a low bar, but his ability to like not make mistakes given what they can do defensively feels like a tremendous asset. And yeah, you got to put him on the floor because he's, he also spaces the floor because he's one who like, he has the best looking jump shot on the team, like by far. I think Morse has the best looking jump shot. <laughs> I don't think you'll find a, a shot like that many other places. It's sweet when it's going in too, because it's just like he's feeling it and he's grooved. <laughs> it's so demoralizing if you're a defender and that is the jumper that's killing you. It's a it's a very unique jump shot. But also Mezzi Offram, he currently is listed as a quote unquote role player. He gets 50 on, on Ken Palm and how they decipher that is the percentage of possessions you're used in the percent in the minutes that you're on the floor. So Mezzi has one of the higher usage rates on the team with a 57.1% of minutes played so far this season. But in those minutes, he's only used 16 to 20% of the time. So is Noah Friedel, huh? Mezzi's the best player on this team. And Noah's a close second. Am I, is that a hot take? I like that take. Mezzi's been phenomenal for them. He can create his own shot. He can drive from the top of the key. He showed he can step out. I mean, I don't want him to shoot a lot of threes, but he showed he's capable of stepping out. I think he went one of one or one of two last game against ULM. Like, he needs more opportunities. He's the one that I want to see with the most shots at the end of the game on the box score. He's just efficient. He can create his own shot a little bit in the in the paint and inside the three-point line. Like, he's a... Super good player. And then the energy on the glass is awesome. Like he's done a nice job of rebounding, which I think has been impressive. He's he's super valuable. So I yeah, I like those transfer additions. I think Byington did a nice job. I still, you know, I'll complain all year about how they don't have a shot blocker or a rim protector, because I legitimately think that would make them a massively uh more threatening team to Sunbelt teams. But they're still solid and they've been doing this a little bit without Sule, which is kind of surprising to me that the defense is sort of hanging up without I think one of their better post defenders, but Mezzi stepped up, stepped up, and then Amadi and, and wouldn't have given enough to sort of supplement him in the post. Do you want to hear something, an interesting fun fact? Yes. During this four game stretch, or I, I keep saying it in the wrong way, over this five game stretch where JMU has won four games, the four games they've won were the four games Mezzi Offram scored in double digits. Now, I'm not. Not going to be like the brass and say that Morse, the second he hits 14 points, this team is undefeated. I'm not saying that this team wins when he gets in double digits, but it's interesting to show that it's kind of as Mezzi goes and the more minutes he gets, the the further this team goes. Against Georgia Southern, 26 minutes. Troy, 38 minutes. Uh, Coastal, 33 minutes. And ULM, 30 minutes. Southern Miss, he had six points in just 17 minutes. I kind of like the fact that they're not going ultra deep. I love the fact that they're going ultra deep, not going ultra deep. It's amazing. I thought it was hurting them at certain points. And it's not like they're not going deep. Like I think they played nine against ULM, which is still like a pretty sizable rotation, but you had, what is it? Six guys who had 25 minutes or more. It was just kind of like a, all right, here's like our core lineup. Let's roll with it. And I don't know. I kind of like that more. Like, I don't, I think it, it helps them have a little cohesion. It also like at this point in the year, we're almost in February. You kind of got to know your lineup. 
right? Like I, I want to know who your best five is and I want you to roll your best five or six or seven out there most of the time. And I think Byington's starting to do that, which I think is may, maybe paying some some dividends to have like, hey, these are our best players. Let's have our best players on the court, which seems simple, but they were going maybe too deep or trying to figure some stuff out or they had minutes restrictions or whatever through some of the earlier stages of the year. Yeah, 100%. Also during that two-game win streak, Mezzi Offram, his offensive ratings were off the charts. He's good, man. Ooh. He's really good. And the fact that they're winning these games despite being just abysmal from three is interesting. So if they can get, get somebody to hit some shot, well, it's like, I don't know, you go six of 22 against ULM, Mezzi has two of three. Like what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, you would think those guys would be the ones who would be breaking the threes. Instead, they've got, you know, I guess their guards kind of struggling to shoot threes. It's quite interesting. Uh, do you want to move into what this weekend brings? Yes, for sure. All right. So I know it's the moment everyone's been waiting for. It's time for the three-notched weekly preview. Game one at ODU down there in Norfolk. Jeff Jones leads the Monarchs. They're 13-9 and nine this season. 5-5 five and five in Sunbelt play. They've won three of their last four. Their lone loss was a home loss against App State. This is a team that is kind of middle of the road in a lot of things. They're seventh in the conference in offensive efficiency. They're ninth in the conference in defensive efficiency. They play at a relatively slow pace. But, I mean, there's not a lot that jumps off the page with ODU that makes you go, wow, they are going to present an issue here. Their tallest player is 6'7". Their best player, it looks like, might be Makai Long. He's uh, 112.4 offensive rating. That's 461st in the nation, but nothing that jumps off of you and goes, wow, this is a good team. They're 180 in Ken Palm, middle of the road. Then a rematch with App State on Saturday in Boone, the 13 and 10 Mountaineers after a really weird non-conference play that made you think that this was a fraudulent team. They've rattled off winning four of their last five going back to January 5th. They've lost just two games beating coastal JMU, Troy, ODU, Georgia state and Arkansas state. Uh, But now they've kind of got the teeth of their schedule coming up. Offensively, this team still isn't good. 248th in the nation, 6th in the Sun Belt. But defensively, they're pretty good. 5th in the Sun Belt. But what they do is they speed you up. They make you play faster than you want. The average possession length against App State is 1st in the conference. They really are just good defensively. And that is what gave JMU fits the first time around. So... Dustin Kearns looks to pick up the season sweep over JMU, uh, and it'll be led by CJ Huntley, Terrence Harkham, uh, Justin Abson. They have some guys that can do some damage, as we saw in the first go-round. Excited for these matchups, right? They're theoretically kind of rivalries. ODU is more of a basketball rivalry than App State, but they're road games against teams that like you're semi-interested in in the Sun Belt. Neither team turns it over a lot, which is JMU's strength. But it's, it's what we've talked about all year, where it's winnable games in a position where if you can go get two of them, <laughs> you've got significant momentum. It's like an, another opportunity for JMU to take advantage of that. They haven't done it really any of the other times all season. So I'm interested to see how they respond to, hey, we've got to go on the road, play two 
relatively solid teams. Can we keep it going and find a way to manufacture some offense? Yeah. I mean, if they go one and one this weekend, I feel like that's a win. I'm expecting an 0 and two weekend. I kind of think they're in a spot where they could go on a run here, which I know is a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, they are, but when have they ever made you like believe? I just love the next four teams suck when it comes to like effective field goal percentage. So I feel like JMU, which thrives on like, hey, we got to get turnovers because we don't like actually stop teams when they're able to get shots off against four teams that can't really shoot that well. I know the the next two are decent, like taking care of the ball. But it feels like it could be a little stretch here where, hey, let's go get three of the four or all four, and then you finish at home. I don't, I feel like Byington has sort of had this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, oh, we don't know our lineup. We don't know our lineup until late in the year. I feel like now he's going to be like, all right, we know our lineup. Let's go. Like now we actually have to go, and I feel like they'll be like, oh, yeah, we figured it out now. We're back. I kind of think they're about to turn it on now, which would be cool. But I, I'm believing. I'm still drinking the Kool Aid. I don't. I don't know if you are. <laughs> I'm not. I love that you are. But I mean, there's a there's a possibility that they go down and they win two, and then they go down to Georgia Southern, and they go down to Coastal, and they win two more, and they're sitting here winning what four, five, nine, eight of their last nine. That's a very good possibility. One hundred percent. That would be awesome. But there's. I think there's a stronger chance that they lose both of these games this weekend than win both of these games this weekend. ODU, they're middle of the pack and everything. And it just worries me because the reason they succeeded against Coastal and against ULM, they were bad defensive teams that had bad effective field goal percentages. ODU and App State aren't bad defensively. They're pretty good defensively. And JMU sucked shooting these last two games against piss poor defenses. That's going to be a concern. I think these two have a chance to be very ugly. And I think that's what Jamie needs. I think they need to play just like I'm ULM fine with ugly. Like I want to make it known to the listeners. I'm fine with ugly. I'm cool with Jamie going out and winning a 58 45 defensive slugfest. I'm okay with them winning that game 47 45. Just get the win. I, I just don't think that JMU will be able to muck it enough, muck it up enough defensively to give their offense a shot because I, I don't see it being a normal thing that they shoot over 30%. We've set this threshold at 30%. You just got to shoot over that and you can win these games. Their, their conference average is below that threshold. They've done nothing to make you think 30% is a attainable threshold on a consistent basis. I think, I mean, the App State game, JMU's got, you know, 10 guys who could start for App State. So I think. What a terrible tweet. I actually love that take. That's also bulletin board material heading into this game. I don't think they have 10 that would start. But anyway, I think, like, I don't think they have 10 that should play. You know what I mean? They played nine against UOLM and that felt good. Like, I don't know that they necessarily, I guess Sule comes back. I don't know if you have to go 10 deep your own team. So I don't know if there's another guy who shouldn't be in the rotation yeah, yeah. that's yeah. starting somewhere else. But I th- I think they have like some guys that like if you which it's actually not that crazy to think with some of that just like on an individual basis to be like oh Terrence Edwards could break into the starting five. So it's it's kind of a, a hard one to wrap your head around. But I will say I think 
ODU and App State don't have like enough offensive firepower to overwhelm JMU. And I know the the first App State game almost points to the the opposite of that, but it kind of felt like that game was particularly dead with like that's true. No students, nothing in attendance, and they were just kind of like flatlining. I feel like at this point where it's like, hey, we're in I guess that'll be a February game. We're in I guess they both will. We're in February, right? Like, let's let's. <laughs> it go is January thirtieth at the time <laughs> of recording. So yes, both of these games will be in February. Let's make some stuff happen, and I kind of think they're they're going to. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic here, but I I like their chances against teams that are a little more defensive minded. I think they can can win in that realm. I like your thoughts. Can I ask you a question before we move on to the women's team? Yes. I'll share mine after you share yours. You think JMU's figured out what they're doing for the rest of the season. What is your dream starting five? Dream starting five. Is this Sule's healthy? I guess. I've been told that he could play this weekend or he can miss the season. Okay. If if he's healthy, I'm going Morse, Molson, Friedel, Offerum, Sule, and not even thinking twice. Like Those are your five best players. One more time. Okay, so Morse, Friedel, yep. I guess Molson would be more of the three than Friedel, yeah. and then Offerum and Sule. So I'm getting your two guys in there. I'm bringing Edwards off the bench and sort of mixing and matching with him as you see fit. Probably I, I would pull him for, for Molson at times. Okay, I, I like that. I'm taking Molson out and I'm putting Edwards in. I like that five too. You're five. And then if Sule's not in, I move Mezzi to the – to the one and then everyone kind of just moves up one and Molson well yeah. Molson then plays the four the two am I am I on the right five center one point guard yes so the four oh you go you go small ball I go Mezzi Molson oh Terrence oh, I like that That's why do I think Terrence was t- smaller than to call I guess Edwards could be a f- Molson's like put, big though I mean, it really wouldn't matter. It's like positionless. No, yeah, it's like whoever. It would be Mezzi, Molson, Edwards, Morris, Friedel if Sule's not going. Actually, scratch all that. If Sule's not going, it's Offram, Amadi, Edwards, Friedel, Morse. And I, I'm you know, a known supporter of Julian Wooden. I like working him in, but it's like in crunch time. I love like an Offram, Friedel, Morse. Like you got to have those three in the court, I feel like. You don't need Molson on the court. No, no. I had Morse, Friedel, and, and Offram. Like yes, those yes, three. yes, yes, those yes. Three Sorry, I thought I heard. Like, give me those three. Those are your guys. Yes. I think I think Byington has Molson in his guys, though. So I, I would think he's – he did have – look, his shooting struggle, he had 14 boards against ULM. That was awesome. Yes, that was great. If he can do that, he can – he will be in – that was amazing. It's just a shame because his offensive rating on the season's 95, and then he had a 68 offensive rating against ULM and a 30, 38 against Coastal. He's like been really the, particularly that's not cold. Good. He he is his defensive his defensive shine helped them win, but his offensive yeah. lacking actively hurt them. Did that make sense? Yeah. No, it's it's interesting because they've got guys that like 
sometimes they're not that efficient, but they're pulling the trigger. So it's you gotta just need which them is, to be good. Which is what I liked though. This last game with ULM, he had his fourteen boards, and he didn't take eight shots. Took nine. Did he really? But it, it, I <laughs> I think he took them early because oh, I don't think okay. late in the game he was shooting. Because I remember the comment about being like he's usually four of nine was like which isn't the best which was the coastal like, game was like in there was the, a lot of game left, left when they made that comment i feel like maybe i'm wrong but it's it's one where it didn't feel like he was overwhelming you with shots quite as much as sometimes it does from from some of the guys that's true over the weekend he went three of 18 that's tough the i he's going him and seven Morris, from deep oh of seven from deep him and morris are going to run into like a three-game stretch though where they're hitting everything i just really hope it's in the postseason <laughs> if it's like the last week of the year that's going to be bad <laughs> i don't want that if jmu men's basketball goes two and two over this next four-game stretch this away trip they are still primed to be sitting in pole position come postseason time gotta get in those top four yeah, that's what I'm saying. They will be primed to be in the top four because your final four games are all at home. Yeah, they're in a good spot right now where it's what they're tied in fourth with App State and Louisiana Monroe. That's not a terrible spot to be. And you have a head-to-head with App, so you assume you kick them out. You have the head-to-head with ULM. like, And you have the head-to-head with Marshall. You got some chances here if you can go on a, a little late-season push. You had to yeah. really thrive up those standings. All right. Moving on from men's basketball, a little bit of a sadder tune here with women's. After that huge, huge, huge. Did I say huge? All right. It was big. Yeah, just to make sure. Uh, win over Troy. They catapult into first place in the Sun Belt. All they have to do is back it up with, I mean, it would have been nice to get two wins, but I won't be greedy. They just had to back it up with a one-and-one one away weekend. They drop a 79-64 to 64 road game against Coastal. And they backed that up. This game should have been a double-digit win for Georgia State. It finished as an eight-point win for them. Lost 72-64 to the Panthers. And neither game was that close. Like, they were ugly. Ugly games. Against Coastal, Kiki had 17 points, Kozlova 10, Odekirk 10. And then other than that, not a lot of people stepping up. But then on the Coastal side, you had two 20-point scorers in Asia Blunt, who was just demolishing them from inside. Six of 10 shooting, eight of eight from the free throw line with six boards. Uh, And then Deja Richardson went seven of 14, five of eight from deep and dropped 20. They finished with four players in double figures, a fifth with nine points. I mean, Coastal just kind of boat raced them. Yeah, those were bad. Like, those were really The Georgia bad. State one was even worse. Georgia State had three Sun Belt wins coming in, and I believe they shot 50% from three, but at one point they were like, Five of six from three. It's just a couple of tough showings. (laughs) I think a lot of it, to be honest with you, is we were talking about how (laughs) pretty bad analysis by me. I was like, oh, Peyton McDaniel dislocated her finger, put it back in. It was sick. 
And she's wearing a very large, like, banded <laughs> brace on her hand in the two games and combined for 10 points over two games. I think she's going to need some time for the hand to heal or at least get used to playing. And like, Yeah, the, I, I think adrenaline helped the Troy game. It, it was awesome, but it, like long term, probably <laughs> I was. I don't know why I was assuming that like she dislocated it and it wouldn't swell up. I'm sure it's like a lot of pain. So um, yeah, I think that like recovering will be like a sneaky large key. And then two of their next four are against. Uh, they play Arkansas State and South Alabama, who are a combined two and eighteen in Sun Belt play. So they got a couple get right spots here coming up, and hopefully McDaniel gets healthy. Which is big because Kozlova also went down, and it didn't look yeah. good. I haven't heard anything else, but Kozlova might be missing some extended time. She was on the bench, at least, at the end of the game, so they weren't, like, ushering her to, like, a surgery or something. But, like, I don't know. That was good. That was, like, she was good enough to, like, sit and not be, like, on crutches or something. It looked like a high ankle sprain. Like, not to be a armchair doctor but she stepped on someone else's foot her foot just completely rolled over herself and she couldn't put any weight on the ankle as coach o had to like help her off the court so i would not be surprised if she's out for the next two to four games yeah we'll see what happens there that's a tough one because she's been super efficient in the post but hey kiki jefferson 28 against georgia state that was pretty cool but uh yeah we'll see what happens they need to to get some good good vibes back, the good news is, you know, what do they have? Eight games left. Yeah, they both both teams have eight games left. A lot of basketball left that I think they can kind of figure some things out. I would think that if they take care of business against like the bottom dwellers, they'll be good for a top four seed. Yeah, and then sure. if they just get fully healthy on the neutral site in Pensacola, like <laughs> I I like their chances. Yeah, I think if I, I I it's not time to hit the panic button. I think it was classic letdown spot here. And it just so happened that the letdown spot then bled into Saturday too. Mm-hmm. But if, if they lose to South Alabama, I'm going to push the button. 100 million <laughs> percent. It's time to hit the button. I, there were some questionable things that happened throughout the game. I had nothing more questionable. This may have been it. They kept calling JMU the Monarchs on the Georgia State broadcast. <laughs> JMU could have thought they were ODU and played to ODU standards. That's a really interesting point. Also, no idea what happened in the entire second quarter. I know I was watching the game, but what was being talked to me was memories from 1976 women's basketball coach. It was a full interview for the entire second quarter, not commentating at all on what was happening on the court. That couldn't wait till the halftime? You know what they did during the halftime? Did you watch the game at all? Do you know what they did during halftime? I watched, I think, mostly the second half. So I watched, like, the ending. Yeah, so in the uh, during halftime, they went over stats. The whole time? Yeah. You know what they could have done? Called the game during the second quarter and told me this interview at halftime. <laughs> That's like, so funny. I don't need the stats at halftime. It was so annoying. And then just to cherry on top is here come the JMU Monarchs. Who the F calls us the Monarchs, bro? That's tough. It's tough when the home broadcast is like over. Like they're getting amped when Georgia State makes a play. And then if, if JMU that- does something, they're like, oh. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> that's I'm on. That's honestly okay that. with me. It's if you can get our though. name right, just get our name that's right. Fair. It's that not as bad as. That's not as bad as JMU's own home broadcast calling Mezzi Offerum Offerman. We got to get the Offerum right. Come on. <laughs> Come on. We have way too many broadcast critiques. 
I think that's what happened when you, when you worked in it for what we worked in it for like four you years. You still work in broadcasts. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That'll explain it. Should we do a, a really quick conference standing rundown? You let you read my next lower third before I could even put it up there. How's the Sun Belt shaping up as we head down the stretch there, Bennett? All right, let's start start women's here. We'll do at least the top half. So you got Troy at eight and two. They have taken over first place. Devastating after JMU seemed to sort of wrestle that away from them in our watch. They have not won um, since we've watched them in person. So I don't know. Maybe they get us like a private jet or something. We just go to every women's game. I'm not saying no. It could be big for the program. Both programs. Oh, this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our that's our men's side here. And then you've got a four-way tie for second on the women's side, which is something. Both both Sun Belts are hilarious because they are very compact here in terms of of standings and, and what you're looking at. But yeah, look at this stuff. JMU, Texas State, Southern Miss, Louisiana, all tied seven and three. That's crazy. ODU at six and four. They're lurking in both the women's and the men's, where it's like they're probably not going to get a bye, but like they're trying their best. Georgia Southern, Marshall, Coastal, five and five. And then toward the end, you got Georgia State, App State, four and six, ULMs, three and seven, Arkansas State, and South Alabama State at one and nine. But it's a little disappointing to have the Georgia State three and six, and then and they the clipped coast. you. That felt like one where it was like, well, even Coastal was so. And Coastal. Yeah. Those hurt. Uh, and then over on the men's side. Southern Miss may run away with this. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel the same way. They're pretty good. Southern Miss, for those not looking at the standings on their television screen or your computer screen or your phones, whatever it is. Southern Miss is eight and two and like are getting healthier by the day. Yeah, I know. I hate I don't like that. How does that happen like in late January? So good for them, but <laughs> Southern Miss may <laughs> run away with this. Um Louisiana eight and two. They were also the Sun Belt favorites and have the Sun Belt preseason player of the year. So like, they're good. They're a good team. And then Marshall at seven and three. JMU tied in a three way tie at six and four with App and ULM. the The game at App has a little bit of extra juice behind it now because yeah. if you win that game, you've split the season series. So that tiebreaker kind of goes out the window. Whereas I believe if App State beats us and we end up with a tie, they'll have the head-to-head, regardless of overall record. Yeah, I think unless it's like a three- or multiple-team tie, and then it gets more confusing. But even with ODU is a big one, right? Because if, if JMU yeah. and ODU, they'll both be 6-5 and five if JMU loses on, on Thursday. They'll be tied in the standings. Yeah, so huge weekend sneakily for like postseason implications because these are teams that – I don't think App is going to go on like a four-game losing streak at any point, and I don't think ODU is either. So these are teams that are going to be sticking around, and it's big that JMU has the win at Troy um, because they're also 5-5, mm-hmm. five and five, so they're lurking. But the win at Marshall holds a lot of weight too, and mm-hmm. the win at ULM against ULM holds a lot of weight. So you got to win App State and ODU if you want like – a top four seed. Not saying it's the end all be all, but it sets you up real pretty come the final weekend of the season. I'll, I'll say you need it. I kind of think, I don't, I don't think anyone outside the top four, and this is probably not a great take, but I don't think anyone outside the top four is winning the Sun Belt title. 
Yeah, I just 100. I, just feel like I mean, look at the teams outside of the top four. There's not a good team outside the top four. And the double buy, right? You don't have to play that one extra game. It's huge if they can get in that. Even if it's two just extra games, you know, two extra games. It's a double buy. You don't have to play two extra games. Right? Exactly. I know you. That'd be, that'd be absolutely massive. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. I'll, I'll say that. I'm excited about this weekend. This is this also week. peak JMU to be sitting in a spot where you get a buy. I remember the there was a season <laughs> with men's basketball where they were like, "Did you just win these last two games?" During the row era, if you win these mm-hmm. two games to finish the season, you're like six, then you get a bye, which had never happened in the row era. And what they do, I think they lost by like a combined 45. <laughs> it was like after two good wins, too. It was like, <laughs> did they figure it out? It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not. So there's a part of me that is just anxiously gripping my chair that's just like, they're going to set themselves up to be like, can they get a double bye? They just have to win these last four at home. And then they're going to go like one and three at home to finish the season. And so many other things were like when you're kind of a like historically, especially recent history, like crappy basketball team and program. How cool would it be to like, oh, I don't know, get a 21 season for the first time since Brady's last year or like get a 22 win season. They only have one 22 win season in program history, which is absurd. So like, you know, you got eight games left plus the postseason. If you don't get the double buy, you lose some games. You'll have even more chances to do it in the, like, go win 22 games. And you can be like, this is our most win since this, which is dumb because it's a little fraudulent with the schedule. But also, like, I'll be pumping that up. I'll be like, oh, we're making we're making strides in the Binton era. But, Let's go. But, but Bennett, I was told that this team was, like, really good back in the 80s. Did they play less games? They did. Yeah, they played less games. Okay. Okay. So that's that's well that's why it's even more embarrassing is the amount of twenty one win seasons where they're like twenty one and fourteen or something, twenty one and twelve is like how have we not had a twenty five and like eight? Given all the athletic department success, how have they never had like a twenty five and eight? You're telling me this team shoots a little better, they beat UNC and now now they're scrapping for twenty two win. <laughs> I mean, if Jamie hit their shots gets UNC, they're winning that game. That really was more of that was one where I was like, Oh hey. <laughs> tough to play UNC, you're going to miss those. <laughs> now it's like in hindsight, like, they shot it well. <laughs> Hell yeah, boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. At the time, you're coming like, like averaging 60% from three, and now you're 20 games, 25 games into the season, you're like, oh, that was an above-average shooting night. <laughs> it's normal that, that when game, they play. It's like, yeah, good job. <laughs> it's normal when they play a defense. Yeah, when they're like hands within, you know, a couple feet of them, it, it gets a little tougher there. If they go on a three-point shooting barrage, though, it changes everything. I mean, yeah, they, they went out. If they hit their next, I don't know, 50 straight threes, I think they went out. Vado scored 10 in that game against USC. You feel like you force feed him a couple more times and hit that, <laughs> that threshold and you get the dub, but that 14-point number. I also love that the usage of that 14-point number. I heard that that line like four or five different times over the course of the weekend. It's probably true a lot of, about a lot of the players, right? If they score a bunch of points for you, the guy who shoots it the most, it seems like a good thing. So I could see that. I don't, I don't, he's had some really incredible games where he does not force himself as a scorer. I don't know. I kind of like, I don't think he's... he's, a, he's his evolution this season, I think, has been an unsung storyline. I think we thought him and 
Molson would combine for like 25 shots a game. And Morse, I mean, even Molson isn't necessarily vol- he sh- I mean, he did shoot 18 times over the weekend, but like Morse isn't shooting it 10 plus times a game. How much is he shooting it? It feels like he's shooting it. <laughs> is he? Are you going to yeah. make everything I said just completely wrong? He's kind of chucking it. No, he's had some where he hasn't chucked it as much. I'll say that. He's. I would say that he's grown since that oh, Carolina shit. game. Georgia he's grown Southern since that Charlotte. Carolina game, though. Yeah, but that Georgia Southern and Troy. Troy, he was Troy. He was cooking. He That's scored. Funny. I think he scored like all of our overtime points or something in the win. <laughs> it was something stupid where it's like, oh, he just figured it out, and he had the brick three that went in. So like when he's cooking like that. And then he backed up that Troy cool. performance with an O for six performance against Southern Miss. But I'm, I keep remembering the UVA game last year. We only scored nine points, and he was awesome in that game. It was a low-scoring game that they won. Like, he doesn't have to – none of them – that's the crazy part. It's like Morse can can do some really good stuff in terms of creating separation. Like, his assist to Friedel, that possession at the end of the game against ULM that was like the dagger possession where Friedel gets the offensive board, kicks it to Morse, who drives, draws all the attention, kicks it back out to Friedel, who buries a three. That was awesome. It's like Morse creating stuff. Molson when he's going in there attacking the rebounds, right? When the guys don't like force themselves, they're pretty darn good. When they kind of get like in that ISO hero ball, it gets a little bit uh a little bit dicier. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. They're gonna win out. I think they're gonna win out. Okay. Anything else you want to add? Any other fraudulent things you want to say? Only thing I want to say is ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips was telling ACC teams to not play at group of five football teams anymore. Cowardly. Although I guess this article apparently Duke said they just don't care and they're gonna they're probably still gonna do it. So Duke could keep Duke on your radar as a potential like Bridge Fourth visitor at some point. I mean they all were too scared to come to Bridge Fourth anyway. I think we're gonna blow out UVA too. That's worth noting. UVA fans they're released their full schedule and UVA fans are all like two and ten. <laughs> we're going two and ten. <laughs> so they did just hire a new wide receivers coach too. Yes. Yeah. They seem they seem like they're in a tough spot right now. All right. For Ben Aconda, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick, and this has been the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Ben Online. See you guys next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.